Hello, everybody. I'm Greg, one of the teaching pastors here. I've been here 20 years. I'm the only one who's been here 20 years. Uh, it has gone uh, so, I, I can't believe, 20 years. I, I can't believe uh, it's been 20 years. Where I, You ever feel like you're on a train and the train just keeps on picking up speed? And you look out the window and the poles go faster and faster and faster. That's how, that's how life is. So, but praise God, uh, a lot of great things have happened and it's, uh, it's been a joy. Uh, and I feel like uh, God is preparing us for something here in the near future that's huge. Uh, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm happy to look at the past and what's happened. Uh, I'm more excited to look at the future and what God has in store because there's some cool things on the horizon that are happening now. You know, I uh, about 16 years ago was invited, and this will surprise some of you, invited to uh, give three days of talks at the Pentagon. Uh, I doubt that will ever happen again, but uh, <laughs> back then, it was a viable possibility. So I uh, go to the Pentagon, and the, the chaplain who had invited me out there uh, was... He's a military man and had a military work ethic. These folks just are so disciplined. So this guy worked me to the bones. Uh, I had every minute booked from morning till late at night. If I wasn't speaking to a group of people, he uh, booked me with, with individuals. And I did like personal counseling sessions with him and, and whatnot. He was getting every dime's worth. Um, and so by the third day, I was exhausted. I'm an introvert. I act like an extrovert when I'm around people, and I love people, but i got to go into my cave, otherwise I go bonkers. And so three days of having no, no time alone, I was going bonkers. But I was also exhausted, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. I hadn't been sleeping very well. Um, there's a lot of things that were going on around uh, this visit that, uh, I don't know, it was just some spiritual stuff. And uh, so I was exhausted. My brain was mush. I, I, I don't know if you've ever gotten this tired, but it's the kind of thing where you're seeing double, and you're, you, when people talk, it's like they sound like they're in a tin can. You ever have that? It's, it's, so I was uh, on the third day in this state. Now, the thing was, is the, the biggest talk I had to give was on that third day. Um, and it was going to happen at noon. I was going to be speaking to over 400 troops and generals and uh, uh, political muckety-mucks, some congressmen, senators. And it was an evangelistic talk, and this chaplain had made it very clear that this was very important, reminded me of that several times while I was out there. Uh, a whole lot hung on this, way to put pressure on me. And uh, the thing was, is that on that third day, I, I'm I, coming up to about a half hour before I had to give this talk, I still didn't know what I was going to say. I had planned on getting out at the Pentagon and then putting my thoughts together because it's hard for me to really enter fully into a message if I don't, can't feel the audience, you know? And so I wanted to kind of go out and, and get a sense of things and then put my thoughts together. And usually when you go and speak someplace, they give you some downtime to do that. You know, you speak and you have a couple hours in between. Uh, so I hadn't had time to put anything together. And I should have voiced an objection earlier, but military people can be kind of intimidating. And so... I, Especially back then, I was a little more of a weenie guy than I am now. So I, I just compliantly went along. So I'm exhausted. I'm dying. I got a half hour before I have this really big talk. I'm getting very nervous about this. 
And so finally, in the middle of one of the many, 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 many individual uh, sessions he had booked for me, I finally had to say, you know what, I, gotta, I, I have to get alone. I need some downtime. And I turned to the chaplain and said that. And the guy that I was kind of doing the counseling with, he was fine. Like, oh, fine, go. But the chaplain was a little teed, you know, doing your duty or something. But he, he finally acquiesced. So he takes me to this chapel in the Pentagon. And uh, I'm thinking I'll, I'll get maybe 10 minutes of sleep. I have a little beeper on my watch. So I was going to sleep for 10 minutes and then get up and have 20 minutes to put something together to give to uh, this military gathering. So I get in there and I'm trying to go to sleep, but my brain is not letting me because I'm nervous and I'm thinking I'm going to be a total flop and this is really going to suck and it's just going to be terrible and I'm going to look foolish and whatnot. And then while I'm slaying there, irritated, all of a sudden into the chapel come these two very tiny people, uh, two very tiny Africans. I, I don't know if they were pygmies, but I, I think of them as pygmies. Um, in fact, when I came back, I, I gave a sermon entitled, uh, Follow the Pygmy. And this is kind of based on that. They come in and they're chattering. The, the lady's holding her stomach like she's in pain, kind of crying. And they're talking very fast. And I don't know if they're speaking in tongues or if they were just talking their own, talking their own language. But uh, they barge in. And immediately I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I need some time alone. Can I just get a minute? He comes in, he looks up, he sees I'm in there, he goes, praise the Lord. And I went, praise the Lord. <laughs> and you leave now? Uh, well, he, uh, he comes over to me and he starts jabbering a mile a minute. He goes, I've been walking the halls, I've been praying for this place, and, and thou spit it all over the place here. Oh, spit it all over the place. I said, I didn't say, I was thinking, well, it's the Pentagon. <laughs> so uh, he goes, and then he says, and I, I, I meet my sister here, and she gets the Holy Ghost. And first time, she gets the Holy Ghost right there in the, in the hallway at Pentagon. She gets the Holy Ghost. And the devil, he's angry. The devil's really mad, so he gives her a stomachache. We got to help her. This is like, am I dreaming? Is this kind of weird, bizarre dream here or what? I, I, I didn't even try, ask for clarification. <laughs> It just happened all so fast. So I go over to this lady, and she's bent over. She's crying. And I put my hand on her, her shoulder, and, and we start praying. I'm kind of half-hearted, but this guy's praying down the power, all right? And he's just, in Jesus' name. And then he leans over and starts talking to her stomach. He says, you get out of there right now. I, in Jesus' name, you get out of there. Get out of there. You know, and just, just speaking to whatever's inside of her stomach. And, and I'm just kind of praying along with this. And then finally he looks up at me and says, you got to help. You got to help. So I bend over and said, get out of there. He said, get out of there right now. Come on, we're on the clock here. In Jesus' name, get out of there. And this goes on for, you know, three or four minutes. And then finally, um, uh, she pops up. She's smiling. She goes, it's gone, it's gone. And she just starts, you know, dancing and, and praising God. And, and he looks over at me with a very serious face and says, we, we, we kicked it out. I go, yeah, yeah, we sure did. Well, wonderful. And, you know, it, it, it breaks our Western categories. I mean, it's, it sounds just bizarre. It was like a dream. But this guy had a power to him. He had an authority, an anointing that was fantastic. In fact, um, really, from the time he walked into that chapel, there was an atmospheric change there. There was an anointing on this guy. Uh, it, it was this five, four foot five guy. There was a, he was power packed. He looks in over at me and goes, what are you doing here? And that's how he said it to you. What are you doing here? 
I go, well, I, I have a talk to give in about 15 minutes. He goes, that's right. That's right. And you got stuff all over you and we got we, we, we to gotta get it off of you. That's right. Like, what, do you expect me to say that? Or what is this? I, it was so surreal. So then he just comes over and reaches up like this and puts his hand on my forehead. Because I'm a giant next to him, you know. He puts his hand on my forehead. And the gal who was, you know, was praising God, she comes up behind me and she can only reach up to my neck. So she's grabbing my neck. He's got my forehead. They start rocking me back and forth and start praying. And he's, again, praying down fire, you know. And, and it, was, it, was, it was bizarre because... Within 10, 15 seconds, I start to feel the stuff coming off of me. I mean, I, 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 it was like I was taking a shower. I felt like I was taking a cold shower because I was waking up. I, I, my head was in such knots. I was so tired. I, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting this energy and this clarity. The neurons are firing again, you know, and I'm just coming awake. And I, the cares and the concerns start to wash away from me because... One of the things that, that I sensed just coming off of me as this guy was praying for me was that my ego was falling away. See, I, I, I realized that, that the reason I was so knotted up and nervous had nothing to do with God. It was all about me. I didn't want to look bad. I was going to look stupid. I wanted to impress these generals and the muckety-mucks. And that's why I was so nervous and bent out of shape and whatnot. And something about this guy's prayer with that kind of anointing just washed that away. And I had this peace, this complete peace to, in, in me. It was, and this confidence. I, I just, wide awake, sharp as could be, like I had 10 cups of coffee, and I just am totally refreshed. In fact, I, it felt so good that I started to laugh. I'm just, you know, it, it, plus it was just funny. It was so bizarre. But I'm, I, I'm laughing here. Um, and then I, I got, I, I remembered this word that uh, uh, Abe, who still goes to the church here, he had, he had given me before I left. Um, he came up after service, and I told folks I was going to the Pentagon and pray for me. But he says, I, I feel like God gave me a word uh, to share with you. And the word is, when you go before kings and dignitaries, don't worry about what you're going to say, because I'll give you in that moment what you are to say. And I remembered that, and I had a complete confidence in that. Um, and I, as a matter of fact, I went to this meeting and spoke to all these folks and God moved. I basically shared what had happened just now in the chapel. And, uh, um, and there, there's some other supernatural stuff that went on there too. I talk about it in that message, Follow the Pygmy, back in 1996. You can still get it on our archives. Um, but God moved and I found out later on that some people came to Christ as a result of it. And it was, it, it was, it was wonderful. When I was coming back from that episode, I just had a word in me, and I, that's what I shared with the congregation. And the word was, follow the pygmy. Uh, walk in the way of the pygmy. In fact, that's the title of this message. Uh, walk in the pygmy way, the pygmy way. And I thought for our 20th year anniversary, this is what I wanted to remind us of. Uh, to follow the way of the pygmy, which means to be willing to look weird, to be willing to break the Western mold, to be willing to follow the Spirit wherever the Spirit goes. To be willing to swim upstream. Uh, to buck the current. Uh, to, to not let ourselves get boxed in. To not rely on our own understanding or our own abilities or our own talents. To be willing to dream dreams that are bigger than we are capable of. It is the essence of the kingdom. Um, the kingdom starts where we stop, really. And when we, when we stop leaning on our, ourselves and, and, and just conforming to the, the, the broader world, 
Now the kingdom can be, begin to be put on display. As I look back at, at the history of Woodland Hills Church, if I had one word to describe this, word, this church the last 20 years, the word I would pick would be odd. It's a very odd church. It's, it's not anything like I thought would happen. Um, it's just odd. It, it's been odd from the start. It's had a pygmy quality to it from the start, and I thank God for that. Um, you know, the, the normal way that you start a church is that you, you have a person who knows what they're doing, and that helps. <laughs> Maybe you read a book on how to start a church. Maybe you have some experience in it. You, you went to school for it or something. Um, and the normal way to start a church is, is you, 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 know, you have some information about how to lead teams and how to grow a church, and you have a, a, a vision statement and a mission statement and a constitution and a board and, and a five-year plan and some kind of budget, and you have to, your, your ducks in a row, things are in place. And that really was, was so not the case when Wilden Hills started. Um, I, True Lawson, who was the head of the Baptist General Conference, who... Uh, uh, that's the conference that owns Bethel College, and I was teaching at Bethel College at the time, and he, he asked me if I wanted to plant a church in Woodbury. Woodbury was the second fastest growing suburb in America at the time. And the Baptist General Conference, I guess they're called Converge now. Um, I found that out. I, I, that's still our denomination, believe it or not, officially. Uh, though I didn't even know the name changed till two years after the fact. So it shows you how involved we are with it. One, one little pygmy fact. Um, but uh, we were supposed to be a Woodbury church. And I initially said no for like six months. Now, nah, because I, I love to preach and I love to teach, but there's nothing else about church that I'm good at, and nothing else about church that I'm really interested in in trying to lead. I, I, I just, and I've always seen myself since my brain came alive in eleventh grade as just sort of a, a you know, professor egghead type. I'm most at home and my nose is in a book or I'm writing a book. That's what I, you know, just love to do. And so I wasn't interested in in in, in pastoring a church. I've never saw myself doing this. I, I, I love to read theology and philosophy, but I've never read a book on church growth or on church planning or on team management, team leadership, how to do this or how to do that. I just, I've tried a few times and they're just boring. These are very boring books. And theology, that's exciting. I mean, that, I read one book on, on, on sermon preparation or how to preach a sermon. I had to in seminary. They, they made us read that and it was a boring book. It was also a dumb book. I think I, I break the rules of the book every time I preach. It's just, anyways, this, this is my shtick. And, and, and yet, here it is. It's just, it, we, we, we just didn't start the way you're supposed to start. And actually, the leadership of Willow's Church, to be honest, we've never been folks who have had experience in growing a church or running a church or advertising a church or anything like that. And, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the way it has been. Um, and, and there's one advantage. There's a lot of disadvantages to that because it means you're not as efficient as you might otherwise be and, and, and blah, blah, blah. But there's one positive aspect to that, and that is that when you really don't know what you're doing, you look to God. And that is a real positive thing. If you really are competent and know what's up and, and got it together, you're more tempted to lean on your own abilities and your own understanding. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But, but that is more of a temptation, whereas uh, when you're, you know, you just aren't, this isn't your area of expertise, you look to God. And so you're, we've been kind of like, I think, in the last 20 years, like the children of Israel out in the wilderness, 
And we just keep our eyes on that pillar of fire that leads by night and that cloud of smoke that leads during the day. And we've been try- we've always sought God's will. And God has showed up. And hardly ever in ways that we expected. So we started this church at, at we, we never could get into Woodbury. Um, uh, we had to find a building outside of Woodbury, so we got it at Battle Creek Middle School. First day, uh, 20 years ago, we had uh, over 300 people in attendance. It just blew us away. It was just bizarre. And um, my, I, I wasn't as clear on the kingdom as I am now, and so my messages weren't quite as confrontational to standard American culture as they are now. So I think my messages were a little more popular back then than they are now. So the church grew. <laughs> I mean, it really, it grew fast. Uh, we didn't have any protest walks like we have gotten used to. Um, and, and so w- within two years, we had to move into Harding High School. And then two years after that, we had to move into Arlington High School. And so after five or six years, we had a church of about 1,500 people. But we still didn't have a mission statement or a vision statement or a working constitution. I think we had a legal document filed somewhere, but no one knew where and no one knew what it said. We were just kind of flying week by week and, and uh, didn't have uh, uh, any of the stuff that you're supposed to have before you even get your started. Here we are, 1,500 people. We had a lot of energy, a lot of passion. God's doing a lot of things. Uh, but, but it was chaos. It was crazy. If, if you were... Look behind the scenes at the church back then. It was insane. So we ended up asking uh, a lady who was on our board. We had a board on and off, several different versions of it back then. And uh, there was one lady that was on the board that we saw leadership abilities in. She ran Rotland Homes, and, and her name is Janice Rowlings. And so we asked her to, to come on uh, staff, to be the executive pastor, because Lord knows that's not the job that I'm going to do. So um, she comes on as executive pastor. And if Woodland Hills Church started in a pygmy way, well, she took the pygminess to a whole new level. Uh, we, we got pygmied out when she came on board. Now, Janice is um, a wonderful human being. Uh, she's got more integrity than any person I uh, know. Um, but she is, quite frankly, odd, very odd, stranger than me, okay? She, that tells you, she's odd. Um, her personality is just strange. Her sense of humor is so bizarre. She's the one who does all those practical jokes on me, by the way. And God is going to make her pay for those, too. <laughs> I'm leaving all vengeance to God, but boy, I'm going to... Okay, anyways, so she's strange. And one of her strange traits is that she's um, kind of stoic. Um, uh, she, she has got... Um, just uh, this, I, I sometimes refer to her as the ice lady. I mean, she's kind of, uh, she's so principled and methodical, and emotions play very little role in in, in her decision making. You know, that stereotype that women are, are emotional, right? They're, they're supposed to be more emotional than men. If that stereotype's true, well, then Janice is a man, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure she's not, which is one good proof against that stereotype. But uh, yeah, so she's like that. Now I say all that to say this: uh, she starts. As soon as she comes on staff, she begins to get visions and words. Uh, she doesn't know what these are. Her background was, she doesn't come from a charismatic background, and her personality, she's the last person in the world you would ever dream would be having these kind of things. But she gets these pictures, she doesn't know what they are. But she has to share them. They, they, they keep coming back to her. They're very vivid, very detailed. And... Um, we found over the years that sometimes those pictures, visions, words, I mean, she nails it. I've never seen some, such overt supernatural confirmation of prophetic stuff in my life. Um, 
I, I've shared several times with folks that if you're having an affair, you don't want to be hanging out with her because God's going to tell her. And, uh, uh, and I've seen it happen a couple of times. It's not with me, but I've seen it happen where she all of a sudden gets, knows something and boom, caught. So God's used that. It's, it's been a uh, distinctive pygmy aspect to this church. Uh, we found sometimes it's, 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 we don't regard these visions or anyone's visions. We get others who speak into this. They're not like authoritative. We don't like just obey them, but they're more like post-it notes uh, that tell us to pay attention, to open your eyes, be looking for something. And more often than not, we see them sooner or later confirmed. So she's getting these, these visions. I'll share two of them with you. Um, one is that uh, she got a, a picture in the middle of a prayer meeting, a picture of a bridge. It was a bridge that, and again, the stuff's very detailed. It was a bridge that connected the plains of New Jersey, New Jersey, to uh, the city of New York. Turns out it was a George Washington bridge. I used to drive over it when I was driving limousines uh, in, in uh, graduate school. I had a hundred different jobs. One of them was driving a limousine. I used to go over that, and she got a picture of this. Now, why that's significant is this. You may have noticed that, but we never did make it to Woodbury. Some of you are from Woodbury, but, but we're not located there. We were supposed to be in Woodbury. But I got a sense about well, just a couple months into the ministry of this church, this is another pygmy thing here, uh, that um, we weren't supposed to go into Woodbury. We were supposed to have our, we were supposed to face the city. And I didn't know really what that meant. And there were some folks that we started the church with that went on to Woodbury, and God bless them, but, but this body was to face the city. And that was really the beginning of uh, something that God put on our heart. We didn't start the church with this charter. It wasn't our plan. But God began to birth in us, and still being birthed in us, uh, a passion for racial reconciliation and a passion uh, to serve the poor and a passion to bridge the city and the suburb and a passion to bridge people to God and to people to one another. And this vision that Janice got really locked that in. That, 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 that was... To be kind of our destiny, our identity, and we're still walking in this and growing in this. And I think someday it just may be the name of this church. I've never liked the name Woodland Hills. I, you know that probably. I, we got that because we did the way that you're supposed to do it. They recommended when you started the church is you go to the, your target neighborhood and you do surveys. You go around and, and not, we didn't pray about the name or anything like that. Are you kidding? No. We, we went and asked the people, hey, what name do you think would be a good name for a church? So they came up with Woodland Hills, which sounds would be a really good name if, if we were in Woodbury. <laughs> we're not. Uh, it doesn't say anything about us. We're not wood. We're not even have any land. We're not hills. It's, it says nothing. Anyways, there you go. Pig me. I'm having pastors get up in front of the church and say, I don't like the name of our church. Maybe it's supposed to be a boring, normal name. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. So we got this bridge identity that we've been walking in. A second vision that Janice got that was even more bizarre and that it was very interesting was during a prayer meeting, um, she, got, she saw a target. And in this target, um, there was an arrow that wasn't going into the target. It was laying alongside the target, as it were. And it was pointing towards the bullseye, but it wasn't quite touching the bullseye. Uh, she was very specific about where this, the, the arrow was pointing. And she says, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. Uh, we've always just said, well, we don't know what it means, and we never do. We, we just are going to walk with our eyes open and, and see what happens. So... Why that's significant is, for this reason, we'd been looking for a building uh, we were all over the place, just checking out different buildings. And uh, we actually looked at this building. It was a 
dilapidated building been abandoned for four years, but we didn't take this building seriously because they were asking $4 million for it. And I had a friend who was a professional fundraiser who came in and uh, looked at our books and uh, assessed that we could maybe, on a good day, raise three hundred dollars to $400,000 tops. We've never been a congregation with money. Um, and so that means this building was nine times more than we could afford on a good fundraising day. So we didn't take it seriously. But Jazz has this vision, and about a day or two after that, as I recall, a guy shows up at our offices and has this big map, this huge map. We had asked the city for a, a map like that um, because we wanted to you know, chart kind of what were the parameters that we're looking within as we're looking for a building. So we get this big map, and we lay it on the table. And guess what? It's, it's got concentric circles uh, going out from the capital. I don't know why, but it looks like a target. And then if you put your finger right where the arrow that Janice saw is pointing, in fact, we got an arrow and we put it there, and she goes, that's what I saw. Right, right there, it's got to move it out it's a quarter of an inch. Okay, right there. And the arrow was this building. And, this, this, and it turns out, and we didn't even know this at the time, that our property is the border between St. Paul and Maplewood Bridge. Um, so we got to start paying attention to this building, obviously. Now, it was way more money than we could afford. So we've always believed, and we still believe, that, that the main power of the kingdom is the power of prayer. And so we just pray. God, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to pray. And, uh, and we're going to keep going forward. And see what happens. Follow the pygmy. So here's what happened. Check it out. We've seen God do some incredible things in the 11-year history of Woodland Hills Church. Uh, miraculous things in terms of people's lives and families, people getting saved, and also in terms of real estate. For the first eight years, we pretty much bounced around from school to school looking for a place to land, trying to accommodate the growth that we were experiencing. And we really became aware of the fact that this was, in a lot of ways, limiting uh, the impact of this ministry and really felt led by God to uh, look at a permanent place to be. So we began to look and look and look and look, and we just didn't find anything that worked right. And then somehow we found this building in Maplewood. It was a beat-up, old, junky building that hadn't been occupied for about four years. And Kmart was on the hook for the lease uh, on this building, even though they weren't here. It was plenty big enough, it was huge, but it cost $4 million. We also talked with some fundraising consultants to see if they thought we could raise some money. They thought, you're not even going to be able to raise three or $400,000 based on your current giving. But we felt led to go forward, and we just put the vision out there, and we prayed, and people caught the vision, and people began to sacrificially give to the vision. And we ended up raising, as a body, together, $1.5 million. There's no way we could have done that if God hadn't been working through us as a church. It's a miracle. The problem was that we still needed another $2.5 million. And it was at that point that uh, somebody, I think it was Bob Cutchell, the genius that he is, um, said, let's just ask Kmart for the $2.5 million. They were on the hook for seven more years on a lease on an empty building where they were paying rent and didn't even have a store operating there. Getting money from Kmart seemed like an impossibility. The guy who was in charge of the real estate and said, no way, uh, it's a cash flow issue. We'll give you maybe a half million dollars. And he wouldn't budge from that. So we prayed and prayed and prayed and 
miraculously, uh, he was somehow removed from that position. He just disappeared. And uh, another person was put in his place, and this person was a Christian. He got the ball moving. They sat down and negotiated us seriously with us on this project. Sure enough, Kmart paid us $2.5 million to get out of their lease. And all I can say on that is praise God. Amen. No, we did not kill that guy at Kmart. I, I, we don't know what happened to him, but, but uh, no one offed him, so don't think that. Okay, so it was a miraculous thing, and we really had a sense that this is going to happen somehow, but uh, there was other hurdles that we had to jump. The major one was that uh, to make this church into a, uh, make this building into a church, uh, it had to be zoned for a church, and that required, by the Constitution of Maplewood, uh, uh, that four out of five council members had to vote, yes, to take it, to, to zone it for a church. And the issue was that four, four of the five were new to uh, the council. They had just been voted in. And the one who had served several terms, he told us in no uncertain terms that he was going to vote no. He didn't want this to be a church. And so we were fighting an uphill battle. So we prayed and prayed. And uh, here is a clip of the meeting, that, uh, the, the city council meeting when they took the vote. Watch. And my hope is that you see that the, the benefit of this building, uh, of our moving in here, would go way beyond just turning a dilapidated building into a nice-looking building. Uh, I, I believe this is the best and the highest use of this property for this community. And so I'd like to passionately encourage you to vote in favor of our acquiring this property. Thank you. We need four votes to pass. Mark? No. Ken? Yes. Julie? Yes. Sherry? Yes. Chair votes, yes. I don't know if Bob is here today, but there's always been a running debate about who kissed who. You can see, the guy was mauling me. I mean, he was smothered. But hey, there was reason to celebrate. So uh, in a very pygmy-like way, uh, God opened up this, this uh, uh, building for us. Um, that was a, a, a turning point for us. It, it has moved us in an incredible, interesting, bizarre, pygmy-like direction. Uh, I guess the main thing that's been going on the last 10 years, a number of things have been going on, but, but um, we feel as though God has been, throughout this last 10, 11 years, been sharpening our vision on, on the beauty of the kingdom, the distinctness of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? And has been forming in us a character and a motivation to live that out. And the clearer we see the kingdom, the, the more pygmy-like it is, the more countercultural it is. Um, and, and, and so uh, the, the course of this has been just a process of, of us discovering. It feels like a gift, a revelation. Very rare uh, for, for churches to see this, of, of a... a, a a vision of God who is completely defined by Jesus and a vision of the kingdom that's completely defined by Jesus. A core conviction that we've, we've just grabbed hold of is that Jesus isn't part of what God is like. Jesus isn't just an aspect of what God is like. Jesus isn't just sort of the nice side of God where there's a dark side lurking behind the scenes or something. We've really come to see that Jesus defines God to the core of God's being. Jesus reveals the very heart of God. He says, if you see me, you see the Father. He's the exact representation of God's very essence. God is 100% revealed to be like Jesus. And the kingdom is 
just about looking like Jesus, imitating Jesus. It's about bleeding like Jesus, manifesting the self-sacrificial love that he demonstrated for all human beings on the cross. That's the bullseye. And so the kingdom is present to the degree that people look like, love like, serve like, walk like Jesus, to the degree that it's not like that. Well, that's not Jesus. You see, that's just, um, it's, it's something altogether different. Whatever people think they're doing, it's not about the kingdom because the kingdom always looks like Calvary. Uh, laying down your life for, for your enemies. And we've been getting a clear and clearer vision of that and a clear motivation to live that out. I, I've been just delighted the way over the last 10 years, the ministry that have, ministries that have begun to evolve uh, out of this, this, this sense of, of who God is and of who uh, God calls us to be. Let me just uh, read these for you. I broke my glasses last night at my NDY gig. I stepped on them. I go through glasses so fast it's ridiculous. So I'm... I, 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 I'm not going to get a reading glass from now on. It's too expensive to get real glasses. Okay, look at this. Uh, uh, the, the refuge, a beautiful ministry that we, we've uh, had the last eight years. People coming together. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's a pure slice of the kingdom. Thousands of people have been, been helped by getting in support groups that are, are, are just uh, uh, where people help one another. Uh, our, our Lake Counseling Center has just been beautiful. Uh, our Food Connection, delivering food to folks who are in need. Uh, our season of giving every year has just been beautiful. The way you guys have stepped up to the plate is we offer up you know, four different ministries uh, like Operation Joy. Uh, for, for folks to give sacrificially to. We've got uh, dozens of individuals and groups who on a weekly basis are, are uh, volunteering at inner city schools. We've got dozens of individuals and groups who help out on a weekly basis uh, for inner city youth uh, through the Lift ministry and through other ministries like that. We've got uh, dozens of, of uh, individuals and small groups who help out at homeless shelter, who volunteer at the Gospel Union. We've got some beautiful ministries here that are involved in missions like Co-Fed and, and Coat to Coat working uh, in, in in Haiti. Uh, we've got 27 missionaries in different countries that we support. We uh, go on a half dozen uh, or so uh, missions trips every year to Cambodia or to Mexico or, or to Haiti. Uh, it, it's just been beautiful the way God is, is birthing these different kinds of ministries. And then we're, we're seeing every year more clearly how we can use this building as an expression of God's kingdom love, that pygmy kind of love. So a lot of folks don't know this, but we, we open this up for a number of, of uh, ministries and, and organizations to use for free. So we've got two Hmong churches that meet here uh, every week. Uh, we, have, uh, we open it up to the school district to use whenever they need to, and they do it on a regular basis. Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other organizations meet at this location. Uh, we've, we're housing a uh, daycare uh, ministry for, for uh, young people with disabilities. We just started now uh, housing and partnering with uh, this ministry that does a, a, a drop-in daycare center uh, for kids who come from low-income income family homes or who have special needs. Um, we have a job uh, skills training program that we're now housing. Uh, and uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll be having our revamped food shelf, partnering with this other ministry to have a, a food shelf here. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple of months, we're going to be having Project Home again, where we turn the church into a homeless shelter at night for uh, folks to sleep here. Uh, it, it's just been growing as we've been just finding ways of, of manifesting God's love in this building. And, and the, the vision God's put on our heart has just been about what to do with that north end. We've got 100,000 square feet over there. It's been beautiful. We've been for the last two years working to put, pull together 40 to 50 different organizations uh, to turn all of that into a transition, transitional apartment complex. And there's a lot of 
hurdles to overcome and a lot of things to, to, to be done with this, but to turn it all into this transitional housing complex and to make it into a one-stop shop kind of service center for folks who are in poverty or who are uh, homeless. And so we want to offer their legal advice and have psychiatric counseling and, and counseling for chemical abuse and have employment training and have mentoring uh, going on there, develop family skills and, and whatever needs are there to help people get off the street and, and to walk with them from A to Z to get them independent and uh, in, their own, in their own place, all the while manifesting the good news and manifesting the love of God. Uh, uh, that's the vision he's put on us. Amen. And our, our sense is that all of this is, is uh, uh, positioning Woodland Hills. I mentioned a couple weeks ago how there is all around the world uh, folks who are waking up to this vision of the kingdom. It, it's a very, very different from the Christendom conquering model that we've been uh, having, been calling the religion of Christianity for the last 1,500 years. And people are, are, are seeing that the kingdom's all about uh, looking like Jesus and loving like Jesus and keeping our eyes fixed on a Jesus-looking God. And now we have over 10,000 people every week who, who podcast our messages in 92 different countries. And uh, God's positioning Woodland Hills to play a significant role in this rising movement, this global movement that's happening around the world today. And it's very, very exciting. Um, and all of that is because of this, this kind of pygmy-like vision that God's been birthing here, uh, where we don't measure success the way the world does. Uh, we measure by faithfulness, uh, not by how many people attend or, or anything of the sort. It's about following Jesus. And then God began to birth in us this awareness, uh, that, that the church in America has been significantly co-opted by the politics and the nationalism of our country. Um, and, and that the distinctness, the uniqueness, the pygmy-like nature of the kingdom is not being displayed because it's mixed up with a bunch of other stuff. And so we've come to see, it started with that Cross and the Sword series preached in 2004, but really getting clear about how the kingdom of God doesn't look like any other kingdom of this world because it looks like Jesus dying on the cross. And there's no country that looks like Jesus dying on the cross. It's not like the kingdom of America or kingdom of Russia or China or, or any other country. And it's not like the kingdom of the Democrats or the Republicans or the Libertarians or the Communists or the Socialists or the Green Party. Now, the kingdom of God stands alone. It's uniquely beautiful. It's independent. Amen. And what we're about is manifesting that, putting that on display. Uh, you know, there's so much of the church today thinks that its job is to be sort of the morally superior guardians of truth and righteousness, and it's our job to fix the country and to be the advisors of Caesar and to protect the country from those kind of sins. You know, it's never our sins that they need protection from. It's, it's those kind of sins out there. And they position themselves like that. But what we've been seeing is that our job, our job is so simple, and yet it requires dying. Our, we, we don't stand over anybody. We stand under everybody. And, and, and we're to confess, like Paul does, that we're the worst of sinners, Rather than pointing out someone else's sin, we're the worst of sinners. And, and, and whatever sin we see in someone else's eye, that's a dust particle compared to the plank that's coming out of our own eye. And so with a humble servant mindset, our job is to put a towel around our waist and to just wash the feet of people and manifest the love of God as, as, as we serve individually and collectively. That's what the body of Christ is all about. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's a unique vision. It's a unique, it's, it's not common. It's rare. It's pygmy-like. I just thank God for it. I just thank God for it. You know, today is uh, uh, Pulpit Freedom Sunday. I, I don't know if you heard about that. This is Pulpit Freedom Sunday. I just read about it in the Christian Chronicle. Uh, and, and so all around the country, there's groups that are saying we're supposed to um, 
break the law by uh, endorsing from the pulpit uh, the candidates that are godly. I don't know. There are some? No. Uh, tell you folks how they're supposed to vote and how they're supposed to, uh, you know, whatever. And see, I would think that if you have integrity, you ought to first take your church off the tax roll. When you get tax-exempt status, you make a promise that you're not going to do that. And because... Uh, Everybody is helping subsidize your church, and so not everybody would agree with their vote, so they wouldn't appreciate the fact that you're using their tax dollar to do that with. They ought to integrity take their... But see, more fundamental than that, they think they're defying the, the, the government by doing that, but really, they're defying the kingdom of God. Because we're not keeping the kingdom holy. It's distinct. Jesus never let it get, got to, let it get co-opted with all that other kind of a stuff. So you're never going to hear from this pulpit um, uh, any word about how or if you should vote or how you should vote. If you're going to vote, uh, we're just not going to go there. Because we're here to rally around uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yeah? And it's got nothing to do with that stuff. Amen. I will tell you how to vote. I'll, I'll break my promise. Here's who you should vote for. Vote for Jesus, all right? Vote for your president. Put him in office. And see, we vote for him not by something we do once every four years. We vote for him the minute we get out of bed to the time we go to sleep at night. We vote for him with every dollar we spend, with every moment we spend. We vote for him by how we, how we treat every person we come in contact with, how we think about people, how we speak about people, how we speak to people, how we interact with people, how we respond to our enemies, personal and national. That's how we vote for Jesus. We're saying yes to the kingdom. And that's, that's our job, folks. We're citizens of that kingdom before we're citizens of this one. And we're aliens and foreigners down here. We're pygmies. All right? And so I want to encourage us here as God's preparing us for what he has in the future uh, to let, get in touch with your inner pygmy and let him out. You know, never get boxed into normality. Normality is way overrated. It's boring. We have enough normal out there. You know, enough. Be willing to be odd in your own life and us together. Step out of the box. Uh, follow the leading of the Spirit. Uh, do stuff you've never done before. Listen to the, the voice who's speaking inside your head that, that God's talking to his people. But it does no good unless his people listen. Be pygmies. Pygmies for Jesus. Walk in the way of the pygmy. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Yes. I want to ask the worship team to come up here, and we're going to go back into another time of worship. Uh, and then we're going to celebrate our president, Jesus, uh, by taking communion. Uh, we'll first take up an offering, and I want us to be preparing our hearts as we focus on him uh, during this next worship time. Imagine who you're singing to and, and what we're singing about. Get a vivid picture of it in your mind. And we just consecrate all this time and our resources to Jesus. Give like pygmies, all right? Uh, God will tell you, and he'll lead you on, on what you should do with your resources. Abba, Father, thank you, God, for the gift of revelation that you've given to us, the odd, bizarre ways that you've led us and the things you've done with us. Um, and God, thank you for what you're going to do in the future. We uh, just submit all of our resources, all of our talents, all of our time are all to you and ask God that you use it and be creating in us a fire to follow the pygmy, to break the mold, to step outside the box, to stop caring so much what people think and care only about what you think. Be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have a father. He formed my heart. 
before even time began, my life was in His hands. Now I sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hands, lay back against you and breathe, feel your Nothing, nothing, nothing that compares to the love that God expresses towards us, that, that we melt in, that surrounds us right now, that is towards you right now. It's the most beautiful uh, love you can imagine. It's the most beautiful thing we could ever imagine. It's praise God. Praise God. I think we should, let's, hey, let's just thank God for everything he's done the last 20 years. Shall we? Amen. 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 Give him a standing ovation. Praise God. Every kingdom thing, every life that ever been, was touched, everyone's ever saved, every marriage that's been healed, every person who's ever been set free. Praise God. Every injured growth that people have experienced. Praise God. It's all to his glory. It's all to his glory. It is all to his glory. Amen. Amen. We are the body. He is ahead. And what a great head he is. Praise God. I want to close by just encouraging you to spend some time out in the gathering area, get some cookies and have some fellowship. The prayer teams will be up here. And if you have any need whatsoever that you could use prayer for, please come and take advantage uh, of uh, these folks. They would love to to minister to you. with 20 years of gratitude and the love of Jesus Christ and the grace of uh, our Father and the peace of the Holy Spirit go with you. Let's manifest His love to the world. Amen? God bless. Love you.